If you will, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Today, the title of the message is The Journey of Faith from Despair to Disciple. Does that not sound like a great message? How God takes someone from a life of despair to being a disciple. We'll find it today in this very familiar scripture. It is the story of the woman at the well. I know you have just sat, but I will tell you, I'm going to let you stand if you can for the reading of the scripture because when I sit you back down, you're going to be there a while, okay? I'm warning you. This is a great story, a great message for all of us. So if you, would, if you can and will, would you stand to read for the reading of God's word? <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you right now, Satan got in my throat just a while ago, and I can't talk hardly without coughing, so we'll work our way through it. Somebody out there pray for the Lord to deliver me from this satanic cough that I've got, okay? All right, verse 1 and following. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, though King James says he must needs, that meant that he had to. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said everyone who drinks from everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you 
you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers were worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then, his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or what are you, why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They, the people she told, left the town and made their way to him. May God add his blessing to the read of his word. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the moments that follow, I pray that you will open our ears, you'll open our hearts, you'll open our eyes, you'll open our spirits, you'll open our souls to hear what you want to say to us today. Help us catch a vision of the journey this lady made from being in desperate despair to where she became your disciple. And I pray that you will put us on that same journey Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. She had three strikes against her. Strike number one, she was a Samaritan. From your Sunday school class study, you probably know this, is that the relationship between Samaritans and Jews were complicated, hostile, and strained. The Samaritans felt like they were of Jewish lineage, and uh, you can trace that back in history. They had Jewish lineage in them, and the Jews thought they were half-breeds. They felt like they they were not worthy of respect, and so there was always a, a, a contention between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, and... And 
And any self-righteous Jew, any self-conscious Jew, self-knowing Jew, would have nothing to do with a Samaritan. Strike one. Strike two, she was a woman. Now, ladies, you don't have to charge the platform. I'm giving this in history, okay? In those days, women were little more than property. They were always considered inferior. It would be one thing to be talking to a woman, but this was a Samaritan woman. I mean, you look at how, you look at the wedding process. The way a couple got married is that the groom would go and negotiate with the father to get his daughter. And generally, I've thought about this, and maybe we should go back to this, because most of us dads with daughters, we had to pay a whole lot for a wedding for a guy to take her off our hands. In those days, the groom paid the dad. Don't Men, couldn't you say amen to that? You better not. Your daughters will get you, okay? But also in the marriage, you can look, and even though God's, I want to say this, God's plan from the beginning was one man, one woman, till death do them part, there was even a point, because of the hardness of people's heart and the sin of lives, where, where God told the men of Jew, the Jewish men to divorce their wives. But here's what you never find. You never get a woman having any right for divorce. She had no rights in the, in the, in the marriage. In fact, until, until Moses said, right, a writ of divorce. He could just, if you burn supper, you were out. You're out. She was a woman. I'll just say this. I'll finish this so women don't beat me up. Is that Jesus did more to bring dignity and a prominence to women than anybody else. But she had two strikes against her. Number one, she's a Samaritan. Number two, she's a woman. Her third strike, she's a sinner. She is an adulteress and more. She had tried to be married five times, and the guy that she was with now was not even her husband. She had decided to do away with marriage and just shack up with him. That's familiar for the 21st century. And Jesus came to her and offered her a path. But I want, I want to say this to you because of, it needs to be said. Please do not confuse Please do not confuse Jesus' compassion for this woman. Don't take that compassion as he is condoning her behavior. Jesus never condones. The Bible never says sin is okay. The same thing that was sin back in the in the Bible days is sin today. The same judgment that was back in the Bible day is is judgment today. When it comes to moral things, you know that the Bible listed five sexual perversions. And the punishment, the judgment for those perversions hold just as true today as they did back then. And here and here's here's the thing that we just we need to keep in our mind. There are people who think that they can change God's standard. There are people who are living with sin of the past that they've never dealt with. And, they, and people think, well, I can get away with it. I will get away with it. I've gotten away with it. And here's what I'm going to say to you. You can't. You won't. It's not going to happen. Because judgment on sin, the last word to judgment on sin 
has not been written yet. And when the last word of judgment is written about sin, it'll be too late for repentance. Be too late for forgiveness. If you, if you are living with that sin in the past, let me just say what the Bible says. The Bible says that you, this is what you must do. You must come to the Lord and you must confess that sin. You know what that sin, you know what confession means? Is that you agree with God that it is sin. You agree with God and you confess it to Him. And then you have to repent of it. And repent of it means that you turn from it. You, there is no way for you to turn to God and turn to face your sin. There is, they are diametrically opposed. You're either facing your sin and you're living in it, or you're facing God and living with Him. And the truth is, is that you confess your sin. God, this is a sin, and I'm going to turn my back. And you turn your back on your sin. You turn toward God. You put your faith in Him through Christ Jesus. And He forgives you sin. And John tells us if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But to finish that thought is that you make no provision of the flesh. You know what that means? That means you make no way to get back to that sin that you knew was sin. And having said all of that, well, Brother Jerry, you must be really mad at this lady. I, no, I'm not mad about this lady. Let's, t- let's talk about this lady. I want to give you just two thoughts. Now, there's not going to be anything on the screen early on. You're going to have to stay with me. The first thing I want you to know about this lady is she was a hurting lady. She was a damaged lady. She was a desperate lady. She was a lady in despair, if you will. She was a broken person. She hadn't given up on life. Or maybe she hadn't given up yet. We know that because she really tried to, seems she tried to find her identity in her man. She moved from man to man trying to find something in her life. You're going, you're blaming her? Well, anytime there's a divorce, there's enough blame to go around. But we're dealing with her today. I suggest to you, I submit to you with all that she'd gone on in her life, she had had heartaches, she had had heartbreaks. As she moved from these relationships, we see her brokenness even in the Scripture. She came to draw water. You all know this from Sunday school. Drawing water was considered woman's work at that time. But the women would come either at dawn or dusk. They would come in the cool of the day, dawn or dusk. They would also come, and one writer says that they would meet other women there, and they'd have some women fellowship, girl time. Not this woman. She came at noon. You see, at that girl time, boy, they had a lot of discussion about all the community. This woman came at noon because she might have been the object of that discussion. Do you know what she did? Do you know who she's with this week? Do you know what her later, latest thing is? Now, before we get really self-righteous, I dare say that in this room there are some of us who have engaged in that talk, and there are some of us who have been the object of that kind of talk. So she wanted to stay away from it. She needed help. She wanted help. She was looking for help, but she didn't expect to find help at the well. She didn't expect to find him at the well. Finally, she got to the place where she met, she came to the right place and met the right person. She was a hurting person, 
And she came and she discovered at this well a helpful person, a divine person, a whole person, someone who cared. Someone, are you listening? She met someone who could see right through her facade. You go, whoa, Brother Jerry, it doesn't say she was putting on a face there. It doesn't say she was putting on a facade. How do you know that? Human logic. Everybody puts on a face. Everybody puts on a facade. Everybody puts on a front because we want everybody else to think the best of us. Could I get an amen? I mean, sometimes we think, who is this we're talking to? He asked her, I can't even imagine the tension when she walked up, a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman at the well. He asked her for a drink of water. Instead of saying, yes, sir, I'll be glad to her. No, sir, we don't serve your kind. Is that she kind of, her answer, which we'll get to in a second, kind of kept him at an arm's distance. And we don't need to miss this truth. We see the story from this side. She didn't realize who he was. She didn't realize that he was really Jesus the Christ, the giver of the water of life. She didn't even realize that he could see through her words down into her heart. This is a good place for us just to take a, a pause. And give you and me some personal truths. I want you to see this. I'm going to put four of them up here. I want you to see this. You may find Jesus in a place you don't expect to. How many times have I been in places and Jesus just showed up? Now, when he did, I was glad, but I wasn't particularly looking for him. Has that ever happened in your life? When Jesus shows up, the second thing I'll tell you is that you can... Respond to him in a way that will reveal the hurt of your heart. And you can do that without realizing it. I think the way she responded told Jesus what the hurt of her heart was. Do you know why? Because number three is that you can't hide your hurt. And you can't hide your heart from Jesus. You might want to. But you cannot hide your hurt and your heart from Jesus. But whatever Jesus comes and tells you, here's your last thought here. You'll have a choice of what you do. This lady had a choice. When Jesus speaks word into your life, the last person I know that he really slapped down off his donkey was Saul of Tarsus. Most of the time, right in this room, he'll tell you what to do. Then he'll give you a choice what to do with it. It's your call. He's not going to force you. Just want to keep living like you've been living, it's fine. But I want to get back to the woman. You can move that now. I want to get back to the woman. I want to talk to you about this journey that she took, this journey of faith. She started out in desperation and she wound up as a disciple. And I'm going to use some terms. I just want to paint the picture for you. As I read this story, there are six. Just points that we're going to start stop at on the way. The first thing that I see in her life is she was a skeptic. She was a skeptic. Jesus asked her for water. Her response to me revealed her skepticism, her skeptical attitude. It reveals to us that she really didn't believe that he could help her. 
Remember, I'm going to say it again. She didn't know who Jesus was. She just thought he was a Jewish man. And he said, give me a drink. And don't you like this? How is it? Now, you wonder. This lady was known going from man to man. I don't want to, I don't want to deride her anymore, but she'd been known from going to man to man. Here this man is. Jesus was 30, 31 years old. He was a uh, carpenter, if you know anything about carpentry back then. That meant that he was, that he was well built. Because he had to go to things we do with power tools now. Things we do with Mark Croner's tractor now. He had to do by hand. He was well built. Probably good looking. And so when she said, how is it? (laughs) Was it flirtatious? Was it mean spirit? How is it? Was it matter of fact? Certainly it had some skepticism when she said, how is it? That you, a Jew, ask for water from me, a Samaritan. You can sense, and and then he and then he gives her her his answer, and then he goes, "Hey, look, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I was, he may be asking that today. If you knew who I am, you would be asking me because the water I give is better than anything you ever known." And she goes, say what? What'd you say? You don't even have a bucket to get the water out of the well. How are you going to give me something to drink? And, and where are you going to get this living water? She thinks, okay, I'm about to step on your toe. She thinks she has life. Both now and for eternity all figured out. If she couldn't explain it, she wasn't going to believe it. And I don't want to get too hard on her because we're the same way. We can't explain it. We get skeptical. (laughs) We get skeptical when things don't go our way. We pray. God, heal this person. God, save this person. God, help this person. God, help me. And then when it doesn't happen like we think it ought to happen, we give God a bad rap like he can't do it instead of he's not in control. You see, our worldly, com- our worldly attitude comes from that sinful attitude that God has to respond to our every prayer and our every need like we want Him to. For anybody in this room who is not in Christ, you've never invited Christ into your life. You never had a relationship with Christ. The Bible calls you lost. Perhaps you're skeptical about receiving Jesus. Perhaps you're skeptical about receiving Jesus because you've heard so much about the change that he makes, but there are people running around you who who are supposed to know Jesus, and there's been no change at all. Please don't let them influence you. When Jesus comes into a life, 
He changes a life. I can't imagine our Lord Jesus coming into a life and not effecting a change. Don't miss out on Jesus because somebody is hard-headed. Again, Jesus will not force his change on anyone. He offers it. Don't be skeptical. Hear him. Hear his invitation. Come to him today. Well, she heard him. She was skeptical as you read that. And then the second, her, her second little stop as you read this scripture is that she turned from a skeptic to what I would call a seeker. A seeker. It seems to me as I read the scripture that the turning point was when Jesus mentioned living water. Living water. Boy, that had an appeal to her. She's thinking, living water? Man, that will be great. I won't have to come to this well at high noon anymore. I won't have to tote this water. I am so weary from doing these daily tasks and getting nothing out of it. I'm about at the end of my rope. If this living water could give me some kind of life, yes, I want it. But whatever she thought, she asked the right question. It makes her a seeker. She said, where do I get the living water? She didn't just say, she didn't say, where do I get it? She didn't stop there. You know what she said? Give it to me. I want it. I want it. You see, she had now stepped into seeking Jesus. When you and I understand the living water of Jesus, we will want it because as he explains it, the water that he gives comes in us an artesian well that overflows. The Old Testament. Anyone who thirsty... Come get a drink. You know, the, the, just the truth is, is that we, get, we can get this living water, this well within us that never runs dry. For us to receive Jesus' offer of salvation and be saved, there is something that many miss. Before you can be saved, you must see yourself as lost. Brother Jerry, that didn't happen to me. Well, I'm, chances are, I don't, think you, I don't think you got saved if you never saw yourself as lost. We must admit that we're sinners. We must admit that we're on our way to hell. We must admit that there is no hope without God. We must, we must admit and agree with God. You see, Jesus had to literally dig this out of this lady before he offered her eternal life. He told her about it. She said she wanted it, but she didn't know the cost. How did Jesus dig this out? You heard me pause when he said this. He said, 
Go call your husband. Oops. Now she has moved from a seeker to where she's a sinner. Go call your husband. I mean, have you thought about it? Can you imagine the lump that came in her throat when she was having this good conversation? It was going somewhere, and he said, go call your husband. And she goes, and she probably thinks, and things were going so well. Why did he have to go there? And here's what I want to say to you with love in my heart. Jesus always goes there because it's required. If you're going to be saved, you have to face your sin. He died for your sin. So you don't have to die in your sin. You see, folks, to be born again, to find new life in Christ... To have a relationship with God the Father through Christ Jesus. And enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit both now and in eternity. You must. You have to. It's required that you face your sin. You can't sweep it under the rug. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. You can't forget about it. You can't leave it in the past. You have to admit it. You have to confess. You have to repent of it. These are His guidelines. These are His rules. These are His requirements. And neither you nor I, no matter how much we don't like them, we can't change it. You see, Jesus came, He lived, He died to seek and save. The lost. He died. He wants to redeem the people who are on the road to a place called hell. He wants to redeem us. He wants to restore us. He wants to redirect us. But I need to say this to you. He has no time for people who believe they have no sin. Some of the harshest words Jesus spoke or for the religious people, or to the religious people. Because those guys believed that they were too good to go to hell. If there's anyone in this room you believe you're too good to go to hell, you may be too good to go to heaven. Jesus came to heal and to touch and to restore the sinful and the brokenhearted. That is His gospel. And the Samaritan woman is a caricature of all of us. Jesus points her to her sin. Now, you're going to love this word, but I'm going to tell you, I studied Brent, I looked and I looked and I couldn't find another word to describe what she did. When she became a sinner, when he pointed out her sin, when he said, go call your husband, she immediately became what my mama would have probably called a skirter. You know what a skirter is? That's an avoider. That's somebody that don't want to face up to the facts. That's, that's somebody that, that wants to talk about something else. I mean, they're having this great discussion, and he puts his finger on her sin, and she changes the subject. How many times have I been sharing Christ with someone? And man, they're good talking about sin. You know, we don't mind talking about sin as long as it's Puds, or as long as it's Donald's, or as long as the churches, or as long as it's the nation. But when we start talking about your sin, we don't start talking about something else. 
You see, when he, when he put his finger on her sin, all of a sudden, she won't talk about worship. She won't talk about worship. You know, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, you, you uh, uh, Jews, you say it has to be, take place in Jerusalem. And it's like Jesus said, okay, you want to talk about worship? Let me give you a primer on what worship really is. And he says, he says this. He says the truth is, it's not about one place. It's not about one tradition. It's not about one style. It's not about anything else. Authentic worship. I want you to hear this. It's a matter of spirit and truth. Spirit. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of truth about the head. Baptist, I love you. We got the head part, but we've lost the heart part. Why would you say that, Brother Jerry? Listen, you, you can tell what people really love. You can tell what's in their heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, he said, we worship in spirit and in truth. So now she's kind of backed off in the corner as, the father, as, as Jesus is teaching her, as they're talking about it. And she says, down in verse 25, I think he's kind of broken through here. And she realizes she's not going to get away. And it says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah, the Deliverer, is coming, who is called Christ, the Christos, the Anointed One. When he comes... He will explain all this stuff to us. And here's the moment of truth. Jesus says, you're right. But here's what you need to know. You're looking at him. And she became a saint. At that point in my heart, she gave her life. She gave her being. She gave her soul to him. When he said, I am he, something happened to her in that moment. Oh, she was looking for the Messiah, but she wasn't looking for him today. She wasn't looking for him at the well. She was looking for the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one, the redeemer, the savior of the world, the promised one. And with those words, she knew she had found what she had been looking for. When she got it, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, when she got this is the best part. When she got it, she wanted everybody to know. And she became the last a sharer. She became that disciple. She became one that wanted to tell people. She wanted people to know what happened to her. I want you to think about it. I love this verse. 28. Then the woman left her water jar, water pot. I don't care what it was. When she left her water pot or water jar there, she left her water. Hello? 
She got so excited and she ran into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Well, now, first of all, remember, this woman been, has a history of men. But this man was different because he told her everything she ever did. And then she put the question to him, could this be the Messiah? All of a sudden, this woman found the answers to her question, the point to her life, the reason for living. Folks, when you find the answer, when you find the point, when you find the reason, it's not really something you're going to keep to yourself. It's something you're going to tell somebody about. Now, oh, oh, by the way, have you thought about this? She left, the, she left the well and she went into the city to tell the people who had been talking about her. These are people that knew her. She went to tell the very people who looked down on her. And listen, maybe that's not the way to say it. I want you to hear this. They heard her. They listened to her. Something was different about her. She was so compelling. Her countenance had changed. Her story was different. There was something different about this. And she had now, in this one experience, gone from despair, toting water to a well at noon to avoid the other women to where she was now a disciple. Those women... And men that she wanted nothing to do with, that they wanted nothing to do with her, she just had to tell them. She, they just had to know. They had to know that she finally had found the answer. And you know what? She was so compelling that the Scripture says, and they went out to see him. Went out to see him. I want to ask you a question, and we're done. Have you had that kind of life change? Have you had that kind of experience with Christ that changes you in such a way that people who knew what you were in the past could see the difference in you? Oh, Brother Jerry, it just didn't happen to me like that. Well, it's inconceivable. I said this in the first part of the message. I want to repeat it. It's inconceivable to me. It's inconceivable from a biblical perspective to meet Jesus. And not be changed. Where would you say you are in your journey of faith today? Oh, I can give you a lot more. I can give you a lot more stops along the way. There are people who say that they are that they are Christ followers, and they get totally apathetic. You're totally complacent. Preacher, that's really good that you're passionate about it, but uh, it don't really bother me. Well, it will one day. Because like it or not, you and I are on a collision course with our Creator. And when I meet Him face to face, I want to be like this lady and be on a first name basis with Him. Let's pray together.